As an African-American man, I see what's going on. As a police officer, I see what's going on. As a radio host, I see what's going on. As a taxpayer, I see what's going on. It's the JT and Looney podcast with JT Looney. That's me referring to myself in the third person. And Shaquille O'Neal. How are you guys? Episode 36. Hey, I got a tease. I got some fun. I got a fun tease for okay, everybody. Okay, great. Tease ahead, as we say in the broadcast biz. We are going to come to an agreement with a new podcast company coming up here pretty soon. So we'll have a new podcast. It'll be the same idea of this podcast yeah. that we've been doing and having fun. And we're going to connect with the team and have new teammates that are going to hopefully help this podcast grow at a higher rate. In the podcast world, we want people and we need people to like it and share it. I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. So we have a partner now coming up that's going to help us with social media and push it out. But you can't say anything else. We have that Stormy Daniels non-disclosure agreement. So uh, any further comment on this new development when it comes to our podcast and the new company we will be with all we can say is developing hot dot 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 welcome to the jt and looney podcast as we come to you from my wife's walk-in closet in beautiful summerlin nevada and the great tom looney in hollywood how are you tom shaping values for generations to come live from hollywood <laughs> birthplace of political correctness and yes episode 36 36, what's interesting to note here, JT, 36 was O.J. Simpson's rookie number with the Buffalo Bills. Somebody else had 32. So his first year with the Buffalo Bills, he was 36. But you knew that, of course. <laughs> it's so bizarre you'd say that because I saw O.J. today golfing. I golfed oh, on the wow. same golf course, O.J.'s home golf course. Didn't talk to him, didn't go up to him, but he was there. He was actually behind me. I teed off early, and OJ, who I guess doesn't get up at 6.30 in the morning to tee off at 7.30, was behind me. But when I made the turn, I found out that OJ was on the course. This might have been the most emotional week that I've had as a broadcaster on the radio, all different platforms. I want to hear what you did reporting the news. And with this podcast, what happened this week and the reactions after the killing of George Floyd, police brutality in Minneapolis, which led to protests, peaceful protest, rioting. It affected sports with athletes, broadcasters that we know lost their jobs. And as we record this podcast, Roger Goodell from his home puts out a video on Instagram pretty much saying the NFL got it wrong, but wouldn't mention Colin Kaepernick. I mean, Tom, there's more to this story every minute Every second of every day. Yeah, and you covered a lot there. But let's just start with that NFL tweet, which, you know, we have to do that in life. Sometimes we have to apologize and say, hey, we got that wrong. And we have to congratulate that for him. You can't say too little, too late. Well, you can if you want. It's a free country. But we have to be careful at times not to accept people's apologies and saying it's not enough. We do that to people over and over again. We tell people all you have to do is admit you're wrong and apologize. And then when they do, we say it's not enough or it's too little, too late. Yes, it's about time. And remember, I used to worry out loud. I used to WOL as we debated back and forth vociferously the Colin Kaepernick issue over the years that 
the one thing I thought that the uh, NFL was really doing wrong was forgetting that they had black players and black fans and so many millions of black fans that bought tickets and jerseys because the Colin Kaepernick thing was one thing. But then they kind of, I always thought they overreacted and overcompensated with 100-yard long flags and policemen singing the national anthem. Okay, you don't necessarily agree with Colin taking a knee, but don't rub it in people's faces. And they overcompensated, I think, worrying that the masses were going to be upset and boycott the NFL. Because remember, in 2016, they had a down year, slightly. And I think they overcompensated, and they're making up today, starting today fresh, uh, with that uh, for that overcompensation. Well, the world's completely changed since Colin Kaepernick took mm-hmm. a knee, and he had the right to take a knee at that time. I'll get into how I evolved on the topic, but as we record this podcast tonight, I will tell you this, that the league is now in a different spot than it was because of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Will the league start on time? Will they have fans? And if games were being played this Sunday, this Sunday if there were games, I think the majority of the league would be taking a knee. I'm talking everybody, coaches, players, and remember how the NFL lost its mind on this topic. Uh, Took a knee doing everything they could. Owners meeting with players, the ownership worried about the television contract, the president tweeting from the Oval Office. This was a huge deal and what everybody wanted it, wanted it to happen on, on the NFL front. And especially in that world was it for it to go away. They wanted it to go away. They wanted to get everybody to stand up and not keep kneeling. What can we do to get you to believe that we're on your side? And they did nothing. Now the NFL has made a major step forward, Tom, when it comes to being on the record during a really important time in American history when it comes to race relations. And I don't know what the NFL is going to look like on the sideline during the anthem this upcoming season, but it's going to look vastly different than it looked the last couple of years. Well, one thing, remember they stepped in it in one way. They took, they took advertising money from the army and the arm the armed forces, and they moved the national anthem to television. Didn't used to be on television. It used to be 15 minutes before kickoff and nobody was ever paying any attention. It was never on television unless it was a playoff game or the super bowl. And so when they started moving them to television, you know, a a lot of uh, the ugliness went down with Colin Kaepernick, et cetera. And I'm wondering if one of the things they'll they'll do is move it back to 15 minutes before kickoff and you avoid a lot of trouble that way, but you are right. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And there's nothing wrong with evolving. You know, doctors love being wrong. Unlike normal human beings, doctors get excited and think, Oh my God, I've been telling JT to take aspirin, but now I read this study And this study says it should be ibuprofen. I got to call JT right away. I'm so excited. I was wrong. This study right here will help JT feel better. I can't wait to tell JT I was wrong. That's how doctors think. They get excited when they're wrong. Other human beings, non-scientists, non-doctors, we stick with our guns until sometimes we can't. And I think what happens here with George Floyd is for a long time, and you and I, or if a Fox Sports Radio together doing uh, 14, 15 years on the air, so many producers, we worked with so many different African-American guys who were terrific, and, and a couple of women, their, their experiences were law, with law enforcement were so different than ours. And before there were cameras, 
Yes, our African-American fellow children of God, brothers and sisters would tell us that these things were happening. But a lot of times you don't always believe it until you see the pictures. And I think today, one of the uh, with of the 74-year-old white guy in Buffalo, I think what that really illustrated right there, more than anything, was how a 74-year-old white guy says, well, these are police. They're not going to. They're not going to do anything unruly to me. Police are, are great citizens. They would never hurt me. So that was his mindset because growing up, that's what you and I have, that mindset. Oh, these are the good guys. They won't hurt me. And as we see in that video, uh, he had another thought coming. And so that, but but African-Americans don't think that way at all. They think the opposite. We have to say, we, we have to stop saying what's wrong with them. And that's where we're evolving today. And now we're, we're listening we, the white guys especially, are listening and even taking it to the streets hand in hand with them. Yeah, I've been listening a lot more so than ever this yes. week. And I, I couldn't wait to get on this podcast after doing hosting 10 radio shows this week because this was a very emotional week for me because broadcasters were in a tough spot, period. If you yeah. said something wrong, everyone yep. was listening closer. Yep. We saw it on social media, a lot of people getting in trouble. Grant Napier, a longtime friend of mine, voice of right. the Sacramento Kings, lost his job for what he said on social right. media. And, and good people were very guarded. And I'm very comfortable talking about race. I'm really comfortable talking about race because of working with you for so long and hosting radio. Well, to give you credit, years. before we're, my first day with you on the air, my first day in 2004 as a team, Paul Horning had said something that uh, that Notre Dame had to start lowering the standards and bring in more black guys. Well, the way he phrased it was quite indelicate, and he got himself in trouble. And you went on the air, and I thought, how is how is JT? If JT doesn't handle this well, I'm going to be really uncomfortable. And you went on the air, and you said, I'm a white guy behind a microphone. And when it comes to talking about race issues, I'm not the best source. And you, you it's the first thing out of your mouth before you talked about it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to like working with this guy. Because you were very clear about how your opinion didn't count as much because of your experience in life was much different than your black listener. Yeah, this all goes back and it all goes back to my mom and dad and my grandparents mm -hmm. who always believed in racial equality. And we had a house that was open to everyone. And from playing sports as a kid and my dad working in downtown Manhattan and my dad having a big job with minorities and individuals and friends that I got a chance to meet throughout my life. This was never an issue for me. I was very lucky. My high school, Farmingdale High School in Long Island, we had a race riot. When I was in high school, I was locked in a gym with the entire high school when there was a race riot breaking out. So race was always in the backdrop of my life. But I want to tell a quick story about the day I started recently, a couple of years ago in San Francisco. Ooh, I'm working yeah. In, uh, yeah, I'm working in Vegas, and I'm doing the national show, and boom, working for the Raiders, and I get an opportunity to go and host on their flagship station in addition to what I was doing with the national radio show. And they offered me a lot of money and said, you don't have to be in San Francisco, probably four or five days a month. You can do the show from Vegas, but we want you to do it. And the Raiders had a great year that year. So I would commute up there. And the first show I ever did, the I cracked the microphone was the Monday after Kaepernick took the knee. <laughs> and I went on the radio like a lunatic 
because similar to Drew Brees, very similar to Brees, right. I tied the anthem, and I have, and I still do in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, to I tied the anthem into the military. Right. I just do. Every time I've been on the sidelines of a field and I see the military and they roll out the flag, I get very excited, and I appreciate it and very patriotic. So the problem is I never crossed the line with Kaepernick. I always said that I agree with his ability to protest. Right. And he was right peacefully, yep. yeah, and his, his ability to peacefully protest. But I was the guy who said, well, if you're going to do it there, go down to the courthouse after the game. Go to the police station and do it and do it and don't do it at work. Don't do it at work. Do mm-hmm. it, you know, outside of work. And I was wrong with that. And I've evolved on that. And it took me a while to understand the magnitude of what I was saying back then. And I'll stand by everything I said because it was me supporting Kaepernick's right to protest, but I didn't like it. I didn't love it the yeah, way right. African-Americans would or other individuals who you were, were siding standing with them. For your right not to like it. Yeah, yeah exactly. well, I was yeah. standing I was standing yeah. by the flag the way yeah. Drew Brees was and what it meant to me. So for this week, from listening a lot and talking to people and evolving through this, I know exactly why Colin Kaepernick took a knee. We all yeah. do. Yeah. And going forward, if anyone ever takes a knee again or peacefully protest wherever they want to in the world, Tom, yeah, leave we them should alone. all, yeah, we should <laughs> all be after this week, at least educated enough to understand why. Oh my God. Yeah. And there's so much you opened up there, but it's great. Uh, one of the things there, when you talked about is listening and helping out, you know, when you and I were discussing this on the air back then, I had mentioned, I tied it into gay marriage. And remember I said, in this country, gays didn't give themselves gay marriage. 90% of people aren't gay. The Supreme Court was straight conservative people, and the Supreme Court had to vote in order to uh, to give gays marriage. So it's always the majority that have to help out the minority. And in this case, what you'll see on the streets this time, it's finally evolved. Because I, I kept saying on the air, I want to hear from Tom Brady and not black guys. Because it's white guys that have to help out here. And finally, I'm getting my wish as you look in the streets and you see today in Montana, there's six black people who live in Montana and Missoula, Montana, where no black people live. They had Black Lives Matter rallies. And another thing about the Black Lives Matter and all lives matter. And I kept pointing this out as well. The whole point of this is really to put it in simple language to get police to stop picking on black people. Well, we so we all need to stop doing that unnecessarily. How about with the Black Lives Matter name? Okay, American Cancer Society, nice name. We never really think about it. No one ever says, hey, all don't all diseases matter? Why are you so special? No one's ever said that to the American Cancer Society. So all of a sudden, Black Lives Matter, they come up with the name of their organization. Everyone's, on, everyone's picking on them for the name of their organization. Don't all lives matter? Yes, but this is the name of our organization. Leave them alone. Again, it's about picking on people unnecessarily, mm-hmm. picking on black people unnecessarily. Leave them alone about the name. And what's really nice about all this, circling back to what you mentioned, is people are evolving and people who are uh, people are listening. And black and brown people are going into the streets to support Black Lives Matter. George Floyd was violently killed in Minneapolis when a police officer put his knee on the back of his neck while he was detaining him. A lot's come out about Mr. Floyd's past. A lot's come out on these police officers. All you need to know 
is that that was the wrong approach by the police officers. The police officers were arrested. They're all going to be tried, brought to justice. And then I hope because of this horrific event, which is an American history book. This week, for the first time in my son's life, because I was around with you during Rodney King, I told both my sons, I go, you are living in a live moment in history that will be talked about forever. And I hope now that people will educate themselves on this issue, will listen to African-Americans more, understand their voice when they're scared, when they're driving, or when they get pulled over, or they're walking towards a group of white people and they're uncomfortable. I hope more people will remember what happened and say, why am I doing this? Why am I not more open for racial justice? Why am I not where I need to be? Why did it take me 30 years of my life, 40 years, 20 years of my life to get where I am next week? Something, Tom, I really believe this is a tipping point and there's nothing positive that happened other than the fact that people, so many people, millions of people, I believe are going to be better off than they were before Mr. Floyd unfortunately died. And I hope people can remember that name when they get educated. And sometimes just having a conversation doesn't work because people don't always listen. But when you mm-hmm. have a pic, when you have a picture, this is what happened here. When you have a picture, and and I, I always think of the time when you treat used to treat us once a year to Cheesecake Factory around Christmas time. You take the whole staff out. And one year, it was at the corner corner of one of the busiest, uh, uh, with a wink and a nod to Bombay, India. Our radio station was on the busiest corner in America at Ventura and Sepulveda Boulevard in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. And so Ryan and I were African-American producer of ours. We're a little bit late. We're running across the street to Cheesecake Factory. And at that particular moment, there were no cars coming in either direction. It was a miracle like Moses parting the sea, and we needed to go to Cheesecake Factory. And I just sprinted across the street, and he waited at the light. So I thought, oh, God. And so I waited over there five minutes while the lights changed while he came over. And I said, why didn't you just run along with me? There were no cars coming in either direction. He said, you're a white guy. Now, as you know from all those years working with with Ryan, he never mentioned race once, didn't joke about it, talk about it, nothing. He was just a guy at work. Wasn't a black guy. He was just one of the guys. And so it really hit me when he, you know, the most well-behaved, kindest person we know, said that. I thought, wow, okay, we are, you know, he and I are leading different lives uh, when it comes to how people perceive us by when when they look at us. So moments like those we can learn from when we listen and learn, but not better than a picture. And unfortunately, in George George Floyd's case, the picture changed a lot of people's minds. This week was so dramatic. It was so intense. The rioting. I want to get to this. We have a conversation. I had a conversation with Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq coming up, that I think you'll enjoy. It was the perfect week to get Shaq on, really. If, if it was ever a time to talk to Shaq, to get him this week was amazing. But Oh, you sent me a text saying, I'm going to have Shaq on later, but he doesn't want to talk politics. Yeah. I thought, oh, Jesus. I thought, well, then why have him on? And then you guys did for a half an hour. It was great. So yeah, did I really you get bad it. information ahead of time? No, he didn't want to talk about the White House, so he, he didn't oh, okay. want to get in on a deep dive of politics. But I see he didn't he, want to name names. I get it. Okay. That's yeah, a, he, that's he was talk. ready to go on a deep dive. But okay. with, with, with what happened with Drew Brees and what's happening as we record with the commissioner coming out, 
saying without black players, there would be no National Football League. And the protests around the country are emblematic of centuries of silence, inequality, and oppression of black players, coaches, fans, and staff. For Roger Goodell to come out on a Friday and do this, considering what we saw this past week, this just shows you from George Floyd getting killed on Memorial Day all through COVID, all the news cycle. I mean, we could do three podcasts on COVID disappearing, disappearing from the ticker on CNN to just talking about riots every night. I am drained. I can't wait to have a beverage and sit back and just let this emotion pour out of me, Tom. I know the family last night said, I I said, I said, I want to have steak uh, and, and red wine. And I got a no. I said, no, I said, I need the wine more than the steak. <laughs> so we, we ended up having it. But uh, the one thing I always have joked to you because you know, Roger Goodell, you've got drunk with him a couple of times at various functions over the years. And as I always joke you, cause you have a cocktail with him, but nevertheless, um, and I always joke about how the fact he never says anything. He never speaks declaratively. He's the son of a politician. He's very good at verbosely giving a thousand word speech, but you need to get linguistics professors and hieroglyphics uh, experts to, to break down whatever the hell he says. But when he puts out a statement that says, we, the NFL, admit we were wrong, Roger Goodell never speaks in absolutes like that. So this did take a lot. And, you know, think of that meeting. Wouldn't you love to be in on it? Because he doesn't speak declaratively that way. We, the NFL, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out peacefully and peacefully protest. We, the NFL, believe black lives matter. And that is amazing because he's a politician. Uh, the the the, uh, the commissioner, and he doesn't speak declaratively like that. That's there's that's a lot of meat and potatoes right there. Considering the commissioner never says anything, he said something there. Earlier in the week, Shaquille O'Neal was in studio. Here's my conversation with Shaq. I could imagine with your podcast, this week's been an emotional week for the entire country. How are you handling it? Been an emotional year. Yeah. Loss of a friend. 40 million great people out of jobs. Uh, the coronavirus thing. A lot of untimely deaths. And now this this incident with Mr. Floyd. I've been in contact with a lot of law enforcement people. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. That technique is not taught. That technique is not taught anywhere. And to... Have your knee on a man's neck. Have conversation with other people and not show any remorse. This is what it, it, it comes to. And people are tired. People are frustrated. People want to be heard. And I think this is the first time as a, as a world people are starting to understand what certain people go through. A lot of different people go through different things. As an African-American man, I can understand. I know what they're going through, but Paris understands it. Uh, France understands it. Paris isn't France, sorry. Uh, You know, uh, Orlando understands it. New York understands it. And I think now in a certain place, we need leadership that can bring us together. Look, it's 2020. I would like to see 
My favorite place to go in the world is a school right around the corner from my house. And I see little kids, they don't know nothing, but they're playing. Before I leave this earth, that's how I would like to see it. All times, not sometimes, only here, only there. And it is like that, it's, you know, it's like that, but that's my favorite place. You know, a lot of the stuff that's been going on has to stop. And I think a lot of people that are in charge, I just think they just have to understand and listen. Uh, unfortunate. I didn't know Mr. Floyd, but I know a lot of his friends. They say he was a he was a good guy. And I don't know what he was being detained for or whatever, but it still shouldn't have ended like that. Shaquille O'Neal in studio. With your background in law enforcement, with the military, with your dad, you've seen a lot in your life. And do you sense, Shaq, that this could be a tipping point. We had Rodney King. We've had racial disturbance. We've had riots with Dr. Martin Luther King. Why this time could the education step up to a higher level? It's definitely a tipping point. A lot of people are scared, you know, especially the African-Americans. They, they see they see themselves in Mr. Floyd's position. And look, I understand. I'm an African-American man. I, I understand what's going on. I'm the type that I always listen before I react. I understand what my people is going through. And there's a difference because I, you know, I saw a clip where a white guy was getting roughed up by cops, takes a baton, start beating the cops, get in the car, drives off. Now, if you have to say to yourself, if that was a black man or a Hispanic man, you already know what was going to happen. Definitely there's a problem. So... You know, I, I I see it a lot. I understand, but the question is, where do we go from here? I think, I think if they would have did their jobs in Minnesota, and you know, they fired them, but firing is not good enough. I think if they would have, you know, because you have to be held accountable. Like I, I got a police officer friend. I said, "Welcome to my life." He said, "What do you mean by that?" As a basketball player, when one basketball player messes up, they look at all the NBA players the same. So now. Because, listen, they're, they're, all cops are not bad. All cops are not bad. All radio guys like yourself are not bad. So, But we're, we are held to a higher standard, and we always have to be professional and on point. And if we're not, this is the result. Shaquille O'Neal joins us. One other big point on this. Clearly, when George Floyd was killed, this was completely out of control. It was one of the low moments I've ever seen in police work, and then the rioting happens where there's positive protesting during the day, and then the sun sets at night, and we see New York City, and we see Santa Monica, places that you know well. What is the message for the people who want to peacefully protest, but then later on at night, chaos begins? I mean, it's, they have been peacefully protesting, and the ones that are not peacefully protesting, I think, I think before you can say something, you still have to react. Because when I get mad, I want to tear stuff up, too. Many times after a bad game, I missed 15 free throws in a row we lost. I done tore stuff up in my house. You have to understand. But then there's some opportunists. Like going into a Gucci store and a Louis Vuitton store has nothing to do with this moment. So you know, uh, I, I, see, I see like 80% guys that are doing it the right way, peaceful protesting. There was a peaceful protest here uh, last night in the Las Vegas police. You know, they were kneeling with the guys. They did a wonderful job. And then I come back outside, and it, it, it was over. So, you know, a lot of places are doing it right. 
It's just that the news will continue to show stuff that's going on that has nothing to, to do with anything. But still, I don't judge because before I make comments on certain things like that, I understand. And a lot of people are very frustrated, and this is what they do when, when they get frustrated. Last question on this topic with the impact you have on social media and as a broadcaster, podcaster. When people want to hear more from Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan came out, LeBron James might do more than other players. What happens if certain athletes aren't comfortable on a platform really giving their opinion? How do we judge this? I don't, I don't get into that. I use my social media for, for three different things. One, to make you laugh. Two, to inspire you. And to just do other stuff. If I haven't been doing this my whole career, certain things, I'm not going to start doing it now because I have social media. I move in silence. If a, if a kid gets killed in Orlando, I'll contact the family by myself and say, I want to pay for the funeral. I'm not going to go on social media and go, look, I pay for the funeral. If somebody wants to say it on social media, cool. If not, I've never been that guy. I have the ability to move in silence because stuff should always be done from the heart. So I use my platform in a different way. I don't use my platform to promote myself. Like I said, 60% to make you laugh, 30% to inspire you with a quote, and the last 10% I may say, hey, come to Big Chicken. And that's how I will always use my social media. I'm not a political figure. I do have feelings and I do say certain things. I do a lot of stuff in the community, but I prefer to move in silence. And I don't worry about what they say because I don't know who they are. I don't know who they is. I don't, I don't listen to what people say in the comments. I know what I'm doing because I've been doing it for 48 years, and it's the classy, correct way. But listen, to each his own. If you want to get on your Instagram and let the people know what you're doing, that's fine with me. But I don't, I don't get it going back and forth and who's doing what and he did this and he did that. That's not my place. I'm so sorry for the loss of Kobe and the impact that it's had on your life and Vanessa and the kids and the way you've handled that and spoke about it. I can't imagine what you're going through. How is each day progressing for you after the loss of your friend? Well, I lost my sister before that. Right. So, uh, everybody dies, but you start thinking about the stuff you didn't do. I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my sister before she passed. And that's the only thing that keeps me up at night. Me and Kobe should have been a lot closer. We talked, we saw each other, it was respectful and cordial, but the career we had, we should have been once a week, what you doing? He always talked to my kids. Every time I saw his family, I always greeted them, but the pain of me not being able to say, I like your suit, before he left, that's the only thing that keeps me up. Because this, this is, listen, we're born, we have fun, we work, we get old, we pass away. That's, that's, that's how it's going to happen. But, you know, like I said, the only thing that troubles me is I didn't get to say one thing or two things or three things to them before they pass away. So that's, that's the only thing that I'm struggling with. I don't, I'm trying to get past that, but I, I don't think I ever, ever will. I don't expect you to. The one last thing on this topic with COVID is that a lot of people I know with my family, I can't see my family back east in New York. My dad's 82, my mom's 81, I want to get on a plane. How are you keeping in touch with your family, your extended family, as we're still in COVID and we don't know what the outcome's going to be? Well, luckily, all my family's close. They're, they're, they're really close. But the first five, six weeks, I told them to stay away. Because even though 
even though there's certain protocols. Like somebody asked me the other day, if a kid asks you to take a picture, what you going to do? I still got to be Shaq. I still got to be like, come on, little man, take the picture. My, my dad was a military drill sergeant. We have been through bird flu. We've been through the, the flesh-eating disease thingy. We've been through it all. So good thing about this country we live in is hopefully somebody will figure it out. But So when I start going out, I'm like, I can't be scared, especially if a little kid that never seen me play basketball and wants to take a picture. I just have to just remember the main rules. Watch your hands. Don't touch your face. So if I do interact with somebody, I just wash my hands again and hand sanitizer. Don't touch my face. But uh, I, I growing, this, growing up the son of a military man, I, I'm not scared of much. Last question, the NBA coming back in the bubble in Orlando. The whole concept people are today are debating, well, they're going to have to go up against the NFL or college football. I say, who cares? Just get us the NBA back. Let's crown a champion. Do you like this format as it's being presented? Being I am a brother and a product of what's going on, I'm going to have to always stay positive about it. However, I don't think I could give people my maximum full potential if there's nobody in the stands. So just let me tell you how I operate it. At home, I'm looking for dads and sons so I can go back to my childhood. That was my dad when he took me to Madison Square Garden to watch, watch uh, Dr. J play. I'm looking for the, 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 the bunch of school kids that did good in school and a corporation rewarded them tickets, and I get to see to them. I'm looking at, you know, Jack Nicholson and Denzel Washington. That is what fueled the shack. All of that. When I go to the away arena, I'm looking at the guy that when I miss two or three free throws, he's laughing. I'm looking at him the whole time. So as soon as I make one, I'm making contact with him. Like, oh, Shaq, look at me. I'm looking at the guy that's eh, just so I wish the guys well. Uh, it'll be good to watch on TV, but I don't know how it's going to be. God you know bless. you look like Nick Nolte? I got, I, got, I got a little bit of that going. I had the beard. I just Jeez. shaved the beard. I just shaved the beard. I've been interviewing you since the yes, All-Star I Cafe remember. Remember. here in Vegas. And I want to thank you because all your conversations, I speak to Jim Brown a lot. Right. And Jim says to me, I don't want to talk about sports. Right. He doesn't. He wants to talk about issues in society. And when I get a chance to sit down with you, we're going to mix in a little bit of sports. But I wanted to hear your voice today and tonight because I want you to wrap it up with a message to everybody who's going through the most difficult stage in their life, if they're dealing with race or COVID or they're unemployed, what is Shaq's message? Well, first to the people that are that had family deaths with the COVID, my condolences go out to you. The people that are unemployed, which is a 40 million, which is unheard of, hopefully the government realizes that you guys made this country what it is today. You guys need that work. Like it's, it's unfortunate how, like how people just been working their whole lives and just had to stop and you know can't pay bills. That that saddens me. If I was one of these Jeff Bezos trillionaire billionaire type guys, I would definitely try and do more. Uh, the situation that we're, we're we're going through now, uh, we just have to look deep down inside and listen to each other and understand each other. It's one word that could, I don't want to say could fix it, but can start to, to, to brighten things up, and that's respect. That's respect. If we respect each other as human beings, 
then we can start having conversations. I'm able to be on all sides and see what's going on. As an African-American man, I see what's going on. As a police officer, I see what's going on. As a radio host, I see what's going on. As a taxpayer, I see what's going on. I'm able, and it took me a while to get like this. Everybody's not always right about this situation, but what what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. We have been treated a certain way for a long period of time, and it's 2020. Will it ever change? Will it ever get to be perfect? I don't know, but I think we can start to make it a little better. A lot better would be be more preferred. But two words, listen and respect. God bless you, Shaq. Thanks Thank for doing you, this. All right. Good seeing you. Okay, so, Tom, coming out of that, there's a couple of things I want to mention. Okay. First off, uh, sitting with him. I felt bad that I didn't mention his sister passing away before Kobe yeah. because that's his sister. But again, I'm a sports guy. I wanted to get into Kobe and I, I didn't know how to approach that with him. But I can tell you from looking Shaq in the eye and having this relationship, I've interviewed him maybe five or six times now that I was looking at Shaq during that entire conversation and he was troubled the world was coming down on him, mentioning Kobe, bringing up his sister, and then how sad he was for all the racial unrest. But he had so many positive things to say about healing and his philosophy on life, social media. I was really happy to have that conversation. I, he was with him. never better. Remember, I was there for back to back to back, covering the Lakers, first for KFWB. Uh, News 980, give us 22 minutes, we'll give you a big fat headache. And then for extra sports, 1150 in Los Angeles. And so I was there when the young Shaq came and mumbled his way through his early years in L.A. And he was never better than there talking to you. Never better. And here's, it was real. He was troubled. He always wanted to be a police officer growing up. He ended up in the NBA. He, you know, his dad, his stepfather, Sarge, who, who was his real father. I mean, who was his father figure and brought him up for all intents and purposes, uh, was an army guy. And he had all he has all the respect in the world for the military. And he's a he's a, a, a police officer honorary in some city in Florida, it might be Orlando. And and so that's even so that added if there wasn't enough trouble that he had between death of his sister, the death of Kobe the protests, the racial unrest, and the uh, the uh, anti-police sentiment in general, uh, that because that's what he always wanted to be. He was troubled, but uh, he couldn't have been more open and honest with you. It's the best I ever heard Shaq on the radio. Yeah, I think the world to him, and I was honored to have an opportunity to speak with him. So I want to wrap this up by also talking about the protests that turned to rioting, which mm -hmm. dominated the week for all of our listeners on the podcast. Everybody, and I know I'm speaking for a lot of people, and I, I apologize if this didn't affect you the way it did me, but I came home at night an appointment television for six to seven weeks. I was told to stay in the house, mm. COVID-19, I could get sick and it could be very serious. And it's still that way. I treat it just the same way. I wear a mask to the studio. I'm real serious about that, but poof, it disappeared because every night we had on protests that we all knew around the country. We all knew we're going to break into rioting and looting, looting. You covered it covering the news tell everybody what that was like to report wow. on that. wow especially and i didn't know that necessarily would but over the course of time and as you can see now that when they brought out the national guard in several cities 
we now realize, I hope people do, that it seems as though the people protesting, which are 90 percent, 90 to 90 percent protesting uh, George Floyd and racial uh, and police brutality, uh, aren't the same people that are causing trouble. They're different groups. And the, the, uh, the people looting and burning things seem to have, uh, have run away now, thank God, and they're just peaceful protests as we tape this on June 5th. But when, yeah, last Saturday morning, uh, May 30th, I had to go on the air at 6.30 in the morning after the first night of, of rioting and paint a picture and do it in two minutes on KABC as an anchor man, a news news anchor at KABC in Los Angeles at the top of and bottom of each hour. And I thought, how do I paint this picture in two minutes? But I realized, okay, go with the general feeling about what's happening. And it is the city that you live in. You don't have to be a stiff news objective journalist. It hurts you just like it hurts them. And I painted the picture and told the story the best I could in two minutes and it was uh it was some of the most challenging and rewarding radio i have ever done remember i sent it to you because i was proud of it because i was able to in a classy way paint the picture about the wounds and the terror going on in our city we had a wounded city uh we had uh we had uh, and, a, and a sad city when we woke up on Saturday and I had to paint that picture and it wasn't easy. KABC, Los Angeles, Orange County, and KLOS HD2, Los Angeles. Melrose Avenue is one of LA's most famous streets featuring fashion, food, and the groundlings, if you'd like to laugh. But there's nothing to laugh about this morning. Today, you'll see the National Guard on Melrose, and you'll smell the char from burned businesses. And you'll see a mess from businesses that have been looted and vandalized. National Guard has been called in to keep the peace, something we didn't have last night or the night before. As a result of peaceful protests turning ugly, businesses have been burned, looted, and vandalized, not only on Melrose, but also from Beverly Hills to downtown L.A., Governor Gavin Newsom has declared a state of emergency for L.A. County. LAPD is on tactical alert. The city is eerily quiet this morning. Tom Looney, KABC News. It was tremendous work. And again, I'm, I appreciate you sharing that with us because it was that good. And that's the type of pro you are, a great friend, great broadcaster. And to be able to be in a spot like that and have to perform by reading the news and it's in your voice and in your words to pull that off. There's not many people in our profession that can do that. And well, thank you. Yeah. I had, I started the night before I said, I got to write this and I got to write it. You know, I started thinking of the great writers and I said, I, I got to write it and it's got to be just right. And um, to paint this picture for people, if they're waking up in the morning and they fell asleep, you know, watching a movie on Netflix and they don't realize what they're going to see when the sun comes up, I've got to paint this awful picture for them. Wasn't easy. Wasn't easy to do. It was uh, a fascinating thing to have to do. Most people just wake up in the morning, hear the radio, hear the news or watch it on TV. I had to deliver it. So in some ways that was uh, exciting to have to do it. I wish I didn't have to. Anyone who knows the history of Dr. Martin Luther King and the assassination and what happened, the riots afterwards, the 1968 riots when we had Vietnam and political riots, and then Rodney King, 
who I was explaining to my son when he was so violently beaten when he was on the ground by multiple police officers clubbing him. There was reason to riot. But as I educated my sons, Tom, the rioting came after the police officers were acquitted. Yeah. The, the reason everybody went bonkers and burned down L.A. And I was living in San Diego and I remember it like it was yesterday. There were riots everywhere was because of the injustice with the police officers and their violence. And then what happened afterwards in the judicial system, which failed everyone. I, I don't think that's going to be the case here. I'm not going to make any predictions, but I think everyone understands the magnitude of what happened with those cops and George Floyd in Minneapolis. And people are going to be really riveted to what happens in a court of law. Yeah, it will be. And uh, we hope justice is served in that case as it wasn't in 1992. And and people just uh, we were at a breaking point then. And a lot of times, too, what happened? That we, let me tell you something about Los Angeles and, and the police department of Los Angeles. They were out of control in the 90s and the 80s and 70s and 60s and 50s and 40s, as any probably non-white person and even a white guy like me can tell you, because I was a victim of uh, some pretty bad police behavior when I first moved to L.A. And I was used to them being nice guys growing up in Elmira, New York and knowing your name. So I was one of those guys, Lottie, dying my way through life. But uh, remember, if you even go back further in history in Los Angeles, you know, in New York, the mob controlled uh, the alcohol, and the bootleggers. It's were the bootleggers back when alcohol or during prohibition was illegal in L.A. The police controlled the alcohol. So it did have a history of corruption. Well, in the 90s and early 2000s, they overhauled everything. They brought in, they recruited police that looked like the community, a lot more blacks, Latinos, Asians, and gay uh, police officers are working on the force. So they represent uh, the entire melting pot that is Los Angeles. And they built a new police station down on 2nd and Spring Street. They used to have Parker mm -hmm. Center and it was a fortress, you know, it was us against them. Well, the new police station is all glass. The only thing that's not glass is the restrooms. It's all glass to represent transparency this is a new police department so even though a lot of the you know, a lot of the young people don't realize how much better it is with the police department in la but in a lot of cases when they're downtown in la the protesters are protesting a lot more about what's happening with george floyd than they are about what's happening in los angeles even though la isn't perfect right now it certainly is a lot better than it used to be when it comes to the police department yeah, and I want to wrap this up by thanking all the great police officers. They say goodbye to their wives and kids every night and put their life on the line to protect and serve, and they do such a great job. And for the bad cops, we need to weed them out. They need to be brought to justice, and they need to be aware, if they are a bad cop, that people are not watching. Prayers go out to police officer in Las Vegas, Shay Michelonis. Keep him in your prayers. 29 years old. He's a Vegas Golden Knight fan, young guy. He was shot in the back of the head by rioters earlier in the week on Monday night. And mm. the Raiders put out a statement and everybody's been watching it as he was really in critical condition. He's still alive as we record this podcast. And I want to just say that, too, because people who listen to this podcast, I greatly appreciate it. And as much as I've been talking about racial equity and how we have to learn from all of this, I mean that. I mean that sincerely more than I've ever meant it in my life. But I also want people to understand that the police officers and the people who do good and who protect and do their job and they do it to the best of their ability, I have their back going forward. And I don't want to see any more looting, rioting, 
There's been too much of it this week, Tom. It's been really uncomfortable to look at every night. Yeah, unfortunately, it's more protests now, at least where I am, than it is. I haven't seen any looting yes. since the weekend and any uh, vandalism. And I will say this to one of my greatest mentors ever in life, Coach Palmer, my Pop Warner coach. You know, I'm very proud of my Pop Warner career. I've mentioned it a thousand times over the air. I was a Pop Warner superstar thanks to Coach Palmer, who was also a New York State trooper and one of the, and a guy who always told you he loved it. You know, you gotta if you want to perform, or you gotta be a great coach. Your your players gotta love you, and we loved him, and he loved us back. And then when it comes to police officers, Chris Rock put it best: just can't have any bad ones. Just like you can't have a bad airline pilot, or I'll add a bad surgeon. You never saw a, a, you know Cedar sign a hospital with an advertisement saying, "Yeah, we got a few bad surgeons, but most of them are great." Uh, there should, there can't be, they, ha they have to rise to a higher standard than they've been giving us over the years, speaking in a macro sense, and we can have no, uh, bad apples. And as we've noticed, even this week, people are getting fired and dismissed without pay. And that used to be a big problem with the perception over the years that most of us couldn't get away with being accused of awful things at work and then go home and just get paid. So things are evolving in a better direction that's going to put a lot of peer pressure on uh, people in that particular profession to to rise to the occasion and never make mistakes. And that's 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 tough. But surgeons got to do it. Airline pilots got to do it. And now police officers got to try to whew, not make any mistakes. And as you and I both know, we all make a lot of them before breakfast. I screw up five times a day before breakfast, <laughs> but I'm a great, I apologize all the time. I'm pretty good at that. I'm on the yes. Mount Rushmore of apologizing. Game over. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.